this is the last week of Advent. Is that hard for you to believe like it's hard for me to believe? Like we are almost there. The next time that we gather in this space together, it will be when we celebrate Christmas Eve. And for me, this last week of Advent, it's where it really feels like the rubber hits the road for this for this season. Madison, my, my wife, she is so good. She's so much better than me in a, in a lot of different ways. But one of the ways that she is better than me is that she does all of her Christmas shopping way ahead of time. And she's made me better about this. But I prefer to do my Christmas shopping this week, the week leading up to Christmas. And I know that's reckless and it's out of control and I'm not proud of that. But that's just that's just how I am. So she starts to ask me not only what I would like for Christmas, like a couple of ideas, but what we should get our family. I swear like six months ahead of Christmas and I'm just like I can't even go there mentally like I don't even how are you thinking about this right now so I think this is the best year that we've ever had because we like have all the presents for our family already already bought and she doesn't know this but I haven't gotten anything for her yet so I've left myself to figure it all out this week but for some reason I and maybe you're like this or maybe you're not I don't know I I do my best work when there's a little bit of pressure applied, right? When I, when I feel like my back is just up against the wall just a little bit, that's when, that's when the really good gift ideas really come out, right? If I buy somebody a gift too far ahead of time, by the time we get to Christmas, I realize that I could have done so much better if I would have just let myself feel just, just a little bit of pressure. So this is the week for me that I pay extra for shipping because I have to. It's the week where I find something online and then I have to find the store that they have it in and I have to go there and fight the crowd because I wait. Like it's, it's that week for me and I, I'm just okay with that. I'm at peace with it. It's what I do every single year and she has decided to marry me anyway, right? And she's always gotten presents for Christmas so I've always been able to come through, right? I also think this is the week that the rubber really hits the road for our faith journey through, through Advent. One of the things that, that I love about lighting the Advent wreath at the beginning of worship every, every week of Advent is that it really gives us a visual for how close we are getting to actually lighting that, that Christ candle. And, and as you can see, right, I mean, you can see it right in front of you. We, we are there. I mean, we, we are so close to being able to light that white candle that is in the middle that we call the Christ candle that we only light together on, on Christmas Eve. So far, you heard the storks lead us through it, right? So far, we have lit the candle of peace, the candle of hope, and the candle of joy. And in each week during Advent, we've talked a little bit about what it might mean for us as a people of faith to come home to those things as we make our journey to the manger. Guiding us through this journey, this season of Advent, has been the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to read another passage from the prophet Isaiah this morning. And, and this morning, we, we lit the candle of love. And, and it's a morning where we, we remember the, the love of God that we believe comes with the Christ child. Because ultimately, right, if, if you think about the scope of our faith, the act of Christ coming to be among us and God sending his only son, I mean, is that not the greatest act of love that we could ever conceive God doing for us? And while I think, right, that theme of love is in our scripture this morning, uh, I think what you're going to see maybe come out a little bit more is the idea of us being a people who are willing to trust 
and believe in that love that God offers to us. So I want us to read it together, and maybe you'll begin to see, see what I mean by that. So we're in the prophet Isaiah, like I said, we're in chapter 7, and we're going to read verses 10 through 16. Let's read it together. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask a sign of the Lord your God, let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. Then Isaiah said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you two weary mortals that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Look, the young woman is with child and shall bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey by the time he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the child knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land before whose two kings you are in dread will be deserted. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. So as you can probably tell, this passage in Isaiah picks up in the middle of a narrative. So I want to fill you in on a little bit of the backstory so maybe we can have a better understanding of what it is that's actually going on here between the prophet Isaiah and Ahaz. So Ahaz, who the prophet is speaking to and who God is speaking to through the prophet Isaiah, is the king of Judah at this time. This is during the period of time where the Israelites have divided themselves into two different kingdoms, the north and the south. And Ahaz is the king of the south, the king of of Judah. And he finds himself here in a little bit of a predicament, right? He's he's facing a few a few issues. King Ahaz, the king of the south in Judah, is facing uh, some problems from a friend, the king of Israel in the north, the other half of the Israelites, and also an, an enemy, right? The king, of, the king of Syria. Israel and Syria have made a pact together that they are going to attack Judah. They're going to attack the south so that they can have access to Judah's resources and Judah's army so that they can go on to attack the Assyrians, who are the big bad bullies that are pretty far up in, in the north. So they have this, this master plan, right? That they're going to attack Judah, they're going to kill King Ahaz, who God is speaking to in our scripture, they're going to place a puppet king in his place, so that they can get their hands on all of the resources that Judah has to offer for their upcoming battle. So it makes sense, right, that, that in the midst of this conflict, God sends the prophet to hopefully offer Ahaz some reassurance that God is actually with him in this. But of course, right, Ahaz and his people, they are, they're terrified. This is not something that they asked for. This is not something that they really want anything to do with, right? I mean, they wish that they could just stay in the south and not be a part of this conflict that these people up north are stirring up out of nowhere. And, and I'm thinking that Ahaz especially probably feels like his back is up against a wall. And, and there's really not a way out for him. But here he is, and, and here his people are having to face this Anyway, 
I mean, can't you just kind of feel probably the the feeling in the pit of his stomach that he probably has as he lays awake at night, finding it hard to fall asleep, staring at the ceiling, wondering what is going to happen, not only to him, but also to his people. And it's in the midst of that fear and that restlessness that that God sends the prophet Isaiah to, to go to Ahaz and to try to give him some reassurance. So God decides to write Ahaz what, what I thought of when I read the scripture is, is a blank check, right? I mean, he says to Ahaz, look, ask me for a sign. Ask me for anything that will prove to you that I am with you. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as the heavens. Just ask me for a sign and and I will show you. I'll give you whatever it is that you need to realize and to believe that I am with you in the midst of this. And Ahaz's response is, I will not put the Lord God to the test. Which to me doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Because I would do anything a lot of the time to get a sign from God. I mean, I would love a good, crystal clear sign from God about where he is leading me or who he wants me to be. Or maybe just a sign that's in the form of a pat on the back, right? Like, hey, you're doing the right thing and you're where I've always wanted you to be. For me as a sixth grader, here's what that looked like. And I mean, maybe some of you can, can relate to this. I don't remember what it was, but I was facing something in the sixth grade that I really needed some answers from, from God, right? I mean, I, and I'd been asking for a while and I hadn't got the signs that I needed. And so I had this brilliant idea. I would put God to the test and finally figure out if God was going to give me the signs that I needed. I had this massive poster of a guitar on the wall in my room that was, that was framed. And every night for a week, I tilted the poster just like a little bit crooked. And I would lay in bed at night and say, all right, big guy. I mean, come on, right? You parted the Red Sea. You made bread fall from the heavens. You made water spring from a rock. You conquered death. If you could just tilt that picture straight in the middle of the night, I know you got it in you, right? If you could just tilt it straight, then I would believe you. I would believe that you are with me. I would take it as a sign that everything is going to be okay. It would put me at ease, right? That's all I need from you. And I did that for a week. And every morning I woke up to a crooked, a crooked picture. Yep, I never got it. I never got the sign that I was really looking for and, and what I was craving. And it didn't matter how many nights I did it. And, and it, it puts you in a, in a place where, I mean, it's just difficult, right? I mean, it would be nice to have a sign from God. And then, and then we read a scripture like this where God writes Ahaz a blank check and he turns it down. I think so many of us would kill for an opportunity to have a sign from God like that. To give us some peace and some assurance that not only God is with us, but God will also be with us in, in the future. And given no boundaries from God, Ahaz turns it down, which begs the question, at least for me, why? Why did he turn it down? Why why was his response, I shall not put my Lord God to the test? I think at first when you read that, it seems righteous, 
doesn't it? I mean, it seems like Ahaz doesn't need the sign because he already believes that God is with him, especially if you kind of have that scene that Jesus has with Satan in the desert, right, where Satan is tempting Jesus, and Jesus responds with these words, you shall not put the Lord God to the test. But I think if we look at Ahaz's story, we can see that him saying no to the sign really wasn't righteous at all. Most every commentary that I read this week agrees that Ahaz's decision was not rooted in his desire to not put God to the test. But instead it was about his own preference to trust in his own means and his own plan and his own army instead of instead of God's. Isaiah doesn't give us these details, but if you look at the story of Ahaz in 2 Kings, you'll see that that instead of accepting the sign from God, Ahaz actually sent a petition to the king of Assyria. And he took gold from the temple and gold from his reserves, and he tried to buy his salvation from the king of Assyria, begging for Assyria to come and save him from these invaders in the north. I mean, literally, instead of trusting this sign from God, Ahaz turned to the Assyrians in the north and instead tried to buy his salvation from them, using gold and silver from God's temple. But God gives Isaiah, gives Ahaz the sign anyway, doesn't he? Ahaz says, look, God, I don't think I need this sign. I'm not going to put you to the test. And God kind of says, well, too bad, my friend, because here's the sign. A young woman is already with child. She's going to bear a son. His name is going to be Emmanuel. And this child is going to be a sign to you that God is always with you. The question for us this morning is why are we talking about Ahaz on the fourth Sunday of Advent? Why are we talking about Ahaz the week of Christmas Eve, the week leading up to Christmas? And I think the answer to that question for us is because his story greatly resembles the story of someone else. I think his story resembles the story of a man named Joseph. And you probably know Joseph's story a little bit better than you know King Ahaz's story. But Joseph was just going about his life. When one day his fiance approached him, I think probably out of the blue, and she was still a virgin at this time, by the way, and she told Joseph that she was pregnant, but that the baby was actually God's baby, that this baby was the son of God, which is a pretty crazy story in Joseph's defense, right? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to wrap your mind around that in the moment when you're hearing that news from your fiance. And much like Ahaz, I picture Joseph in this moment to be struck with fear, because his reputation, along with Mary's, and really Mary's life, depending on how Joseph was going to respond to this news, is, is all at risk, is all suddenly up in the air. For Joseph, I'm sure that the more he processed what it was that Mary had shared with him, the more he felt like his back was pressed up against a wall. The more he felt like the walls were actually closing in on him and Mary, because sooner or later, whether they shared it or not, people were going to know, right, when she started showing that this wasn't something that he had asked for. And according to Mary, it wasn't something that she had asked for either. 
And it really wasn't something that he wanted anything to do with. But here he was facing it anyway, just like, just like Ahaz. If you were to flip open Matthew's gospel and read the birth narrative of Jesus, you would see that Matthew tells us that Joseph was a righteous man. And so he was unwilling to expose Mary to public disgrace. But Joseph was still planning to walk away. He wasn't going to make a big fuss about it. He wasn't going to throw Mary under the bus. But Joseph had decided that he didn't really think he wanted anything to do with this story. He was going to trust in his own wisdom instead of the sign that he and Mary had received from God. And he was just on the brink of saying no to being a part of this story. He was preparing to walk away when in the midst of of that fear and conflict when he was experiencing one of those sleepless nights, right? Much like Ahaz, in a dream, an angel appeared to him. And the angel said something like this, right? Joseph, don't let your fear motivate your response. Mary's child is actually from the Holy Spirit. She is telling you the truth. This is the Son of God that she is bearing, and she is going to bear this Son, and you are going to name him Jesus. And then the angel even says that this is happening to fulfill the prophecy that we just read in Isaiah. That this is the virgin bearing child whose name will be Emmanuel, God with us. And you know the story, right? Joseph wakes up the next morning and the inner conflict is over. He, he knows exactly what he is going to do. He decides that he is going to trust the sign. He's going to believe in the sign. He's going to take Mary to be his wife. The baby is born and he does what? He names him Jesus. And the world was never the same. I think this week leading up to Christmas as the rubber hits the road, right? As we build up to that service on Christmas Eve and that celebration on Christmas Day when we welcome that sign from God into our world yet again this year, I I think we have a choice to make. I really do. I think we have a choice to make as a people of faith as we build up to that celebration on Christmas Eve. Who are we going to place our trust in? What are we going to place our our trust in? What is it that we're going to believe in as a people of faith? of faith? Are we going to cling to our own plan and our own power and our own resources like Ahaz? Are we going to fall into that temptation to trust our own wisdom like Joseph instead of leaning into the plan of God? Are we going to try and turn down the sign altogether and say, look, God, this is great and I appreciate you offering this to me, but I really don't think I need this right now because this is only going to complicate my life. Are we going to place our trust and our belief in Emmanuel, this, this baby that's promised to us, even though we don't deserve it, perhaps even though we didn't, we didn't ask for it. Or are we going to say yes to this plan that we believe God has for us through this child, knowing that if we do, if we accept it, if we trust in it, if we believe it, if we allow it to shape our lives, it is going to require us to probably give up a little bit of our power, to, to let go of some control that we might rather have 
over our lives. It, it may even require us to humble ourselves. It's going to require us to live a life that resembles the life that this baby will go on to live. Man, the question for us this morning is, is what, what are we going to do? Who are we going to place our trust in? What are we going to believe in? What are we going to do with this sign that God sends to us? If I'm being honest with you, I think we have a little bit of a misconception about why God gives us these these signs. Why God tries to prove to us over and, and over again that he is with us and that we should believe in him. I think a lot of folks think that God gives us these signs that, that God is with us so that we will believe. That the point of these signs is to take a people who don't believe and make them into a people who, who do believe. And I don't really think that's it, or at least I don't think that's all of it for us this morning. I think God gives us these signs. I, I think God sends us this, this baby that we call Emmanuel, that we believe shows us that God is with us. I think God does those things because God knows that it's hard to believe. Because it is. It's especially hard when things don't go as planned. When we feel like we're out of control. When, when we're fearful. When our patience has run out, when we feel like life throws us a curveball that we didn't see, that we didn't see coming, when we feel like our backs are up against the wall, when we're facing something that we didn't ask for and that we did everything in our power to avoid, but here we are anyway, having to face it. It's hard to believe. And God knows that. And his response is to simply remind us that, that he is with us. Friends, it's, it's hard to believe. And God, I believe, is, is fully aware of that. And so he does everything he possibly can, going to the extent of sending his only son to be God among us, to prove to us over and over again, to get it through our thick heads that God is actually with us. My hope is that is that we would rest in that leading up to Christmas this week. That, that we would remember as a people of faith that we can trust that without a doubt that God is actually with us in the midst of our lives, no matter how complicated they may feel. My hope is that we would be a people who make the choice to believe in the signs that God puts before us, trying to prove that to us over and over again, that we would believe in that instead of trusting our own plan, or our own wisdom, or our own strength. Man, my hope is that we would believe in the sign that God is sending us. I don't know what that looks like for you this week. I don't know how you could make that happen. I don't know how you could grow in your belief of that, but my hope is that you would at least be willing, that you would open yourself up to it, that we would know that he is actually Emmanuel, that we would know that he is God with us, that we would trust it, that God is sending the sign for us. My hope for us, friends, man, my hope for me as we lead up to Advent and we lead up to Christmas Eve is that we would just simply believe. I believe we'll be better for it. 
I believe we'll experience the love of God. I believe we'll be able to live with a peace in our lives, knowing, right, knowing that even in those moments when we feel like our backs are pressed up against the wall, we can trust that God is with us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in the gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.